Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I'm Brittany Lombas. I'm James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And we are recording in James and Hannah's apartment in Mid-City, New Orleans. This is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. We got a lot to talk about today. I don't know why I drew that out. <laughs> I'd like to do a barbershop quartet version of that one time. <laughs> I would love that. Swamp Flicks. Um, or like a scat. Right. <laughs> Skibbity bop bop swamp flicks. Yeah. Yeah, that one sounded extra spooky. I was assuming y'all oh, did it yeah. for the Halloween season. That makes sense. <laughs> yes, that was pre-planned and I, I did it for it. Halloween. I knew it. <laughs> we have a ton of movies to talk about. Some of them are very chaotic. So this may go on for a while. Uh, so we should just jump right into yeah. it. What have y'all been watching lately? So I've been on a spooky kick. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I'm sure all of you have. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I watched uh, Picture Mommy Dead. Never heard of that. Well, <laughs> it kind of sounds what it is about. Um, <laughs> it's from 1966, and it was directed by Burt Gordon. And he did like a lot of like those creature films, like, I don't know. like He does the, the one with the giant ants. Yeah. Yes, giant ant movie. It's I can't remember the name of it, though. It's like Day of the Ants or something really yes. generic like that. <laughs> yeah. But this movie, it's super, super wild and stupid, and I loved it. It starts off with this girl who's being picked up from an asylum run by nuns. Love it already, right? Um, she's getting picked up by her dad, and she's like, oh, you finally came to get me, dad. I guess she's been there for like a few years at this point. And with him is like her new mom. But it was her old governess, and we find out that her mom is dead. <gasps> Picture mommy dead. <laughs> and um, the reason she's in the asylum is because, like, her mom got burned to death in a fire at their, like, massive mansion estate, whatever the hell you want to call it. It looks like a castle. And I guess she was so traumatized by it that she just stayed at this, you know, nun asylum. Well, she goes home, and then she starts, like, hearing shit, and she sees visions of her mother, like, getting burned, and sees, like, visions of her mother, who is played by none other than Zsa Zsa Gabor. Wow. With what? bright red hair. <laughs> so, it like, this movie is so great because, I mean, she's in it, and she's only in flashbacks or in, like, ghost form, which is essentially her, but, like, I guess they just kind of fade her out a little bit. <laughs> And she wears like furs and pearls and diamonds and just cackles about how much her and her husband hate each other. So she just came to set already dressed as Zsa Gabor. Yes. Yeah. It's so good. She's so good. And basically we start to kind of realize, hey, her burn death wasn't an accident. She was probably murdered. Somebody lit her ass on fire. Is it her daughter? Because her daughter is like probably 16 going on 17 and acts like she's like six is it her husband who like hated her? She hated him. Or is it the governess who married her husband and makes comments like, Hey, your wife left your fortune to your daughter. If she dies, you get it. If you die, I get it. So you're trying to figure out who killed mommy. Um, cause mommy <laughs> is dead. You got picture mommy dead. And it's just, it's good. It's good shit. It's good trash. Mm. Like there's this really cool scene where like the daughter, her name's Susan She's um, hallucinating and hearing voices and she has like a room full of like stuffed animals and toys, but they're like toys from like the fifties and sixties. So they're ultra creepy and like those like nasty old, like matted, like teddy bear fur faced mm. things. That always gets me like a and good creepy like shot of a doll. And yeah, it zooms in on all the toys. So yeah, I, I really liked it. It's good. It's on canopy. 
So it's mm. worth one of those canopy rentals. Cool. Because you get 12. Um, so that's the, the cool thing I've been watching. So what about you, Hannah? So I've been watching a lot of horror movies, but I've been kind of trying to catch up on like classic horror movies that I've never seen, which is, uh, these, it's a disgrace to me. <laughs> but um, so the movie I wanted to bring up in the podcast, because it is kind of relevant to the topic, strangely, is The Wicker Man. Oh, great um, film. Yeah. It's kind of a musical, yeah. Right, exactly. Uh-huh. That's a, exactly. So yeah. um, I, I don't know. I feel like probably anybody listening to the podcast knows this movie, directed in 1973 by um, Robin Hardy, starring Edward Woodward and Christopher Lee. Again, we talked about him last week. Um, oh, he's just wonderful. But, you know, I when I was growing up, I actually like knew about the Nick Cage Wicker Man before I knew there was a it was a remake and I just never sought it out for some reason I felt like I had it figured out but it was uh fantastic you know it's set in this little Scottish village very remote the townspeople are like very menacing Christopher Lee is just he's like the the town leader and he's like very whimsical and um, also menacing. But the, yeah, there are three musical numbers, like full musical numbers. Yeah. In the, you know, they're like dancing. These boys are dancing around the maypole. Um, these girls are jumping naked through the fire to like become impregnated by the the devil. I can't, you know, I can't remember. But um, <laughs> the first musical number is like so jarring because it's him in that uh, in oh, hotel yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. And there's just right. this naked like teenager on the other side of the wall. Yeah, seducing she's him. like, come yeah. to me. And he's just sweating like, ah, (laughs) yeah, he just really needs to get a grip. Like, yeah. And I like I love horror movies, but they do uh, they stress me out because I want to, you know, I feel for the protagonist normally. But this guy was like. You know, I felt for him, but he was also just kind of a drag. He's like an uptight Catholic yeah, cop who like right. can't get over his like sexual <laughs> yeah. like yeah. stuff. Yeah, he's like I don't know. He's like demeaning all the townspeople, and like <laughs> they're talking about penises in the like children's class, and he barges in. And he's like, "This is devil, Satan, mm-hmm. no dick, talk. garbage." And like, <laughs> come on, like sex ed, my man. <laughs> so it was just fun to. It was. I just was like fully enthralled awesome. the whole time. So if you have not seen The Wicker Man, please see it. It's it's great. Classic. Uh, yeah. Yes. So James. What have you been watching? Well, kind of like you, I'm trying to catch up on some classics. And I wanted to talk about one that I watched recently. And I don't know why it's a classic. (laughs) I actually think it kind of sucks, which really took me by surprise. It's from 1979 called The Amityville Horror. I haven't Um, seen that one. Yeah, yeah. It kind of wasn't on my radar either. But Mm -hmm. it's constantly in lists of like the most influential horror movies and all this stuff so i watched it and like man this movie like kind of sucks and it like it really it's a shame too because i see like how influential it is on the haunted house genre and Mm -hmm. it has this really cool backstory where it's based on a book that was based on a real case Mm -hmm. of a guy who like killed his whole family and then this couple and their children a year later bought the house that it happened in and then left less than a month after moving in because of all these very weird paranormal things and the book kind of documented 
all that. So I was like, oh, that's a creepy setup and whatever. But the thing that like really kept going in my mind was like Poltergeist did this movie a million times better. (laughs) And I think like where this kind of falls is like Exorcist came out, what, like maybe six years before, like Mm -hmm. the early 30s. This was like 79. So you have this like cool backstory of this haunted house and this family and the man's kind of going crazy and he's like, he looks awful. The best part of the movie is like (laughs) the husband as the movie progresses, just looks more and more pale and he's being possessed by the like ghost or, you know, demonic force in the house and he's chopping wood and (laughs) acting very creepily and Margot Kidder's in this as well. And she's great, but it like shoehorns in this religious subplot of this priest that comes to bless the house and he gets weird vibes. And then he starts coming down with like the sweats and he's hallucinating. And it's like the evil spirit is possessing him outside of the house, which doesn't quite make any sense. And there, yeah. And there's like all these like side characters and all this unnecessary, the movie's like two hours long and you have all these like subplots, side characters, when really the core of the story is like a family in a house that's possessed by ghosts and the like patriarch is going insane and might end up killing his family. So it just like has all this unnecessary baggage and it has like cool little moments mm-hmm. throughout. But I was like, man, I don't know like where this got such a big like, I guess it's a cult following. Because it didn't do great with like critics or really, I guess it made a lot of money at the box office. But from what I've heard, there's like tons of sequels. Yeah. The further you get along in those, the more fun they get. I was gonna, I was gonna say like um, the sequels are super cheesy and but like in a fun way. Yeah. And there's like also, it's called Amityville Dollhouse. And it's a horror movie, and it's like the Amityville House, but it's like a haunted dollhouse. Directed by Charles Band, I'm guessing. Uh, oh, <laughs> I'm probably joking. so. I'm I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> but there's one where the brother gets possessed and tries to kill the family. It might be the third one. See, and the one I heard was the one where the I lamp like that one. from the original house gets sold. Like, it's just a stupid lamp. And it gets <laughs> sold, and the lamp is possessed. That might be the ah! third one. That one's supposed to be a lot of fun, yeah. like, goofy kind of way. The climax is pretty cool. The house starts to bleed. Which is yeah, pretty that's cool. Awesome. Right, yeah. I feel like the two, like there are three very cool images. One is this room that fills with flies. Like yeah. I, I just think that's, that's flies like are creepy. Flies the room are, with the top window and the top of the house. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's like the priest comes into it, and there are a couple yeah. flies, and then flies <laughs> are congregating, and then flies are all over his face, and the walls bleeding is very cool. It's like these. It just starts oozing out of the walls in these little holes, and then it's like coming faster and faster and then there's this red room in the basement behind this brick wall and the like the dog is obsessed with this place behind the brick wall and then finally the father like breaks the bricks down and the, the walls of this room are bright red and his um friend's wife is like it's the doorway to hell oh, but, but <laughs> which it's, is a cool setup yeah, yeah but, but it's it doesn't really like it doesn't like it. it never really digs into those moments yeah. like you see the room for a minute and then like a ghostly face appears in it. Uh-huh. So it was there was some like very like promising cool yeah, the, parts. The but. last thing I'll say about it is that well first of all I do want to commend James Brolin who is Josh Brolin's mm-hmm. father yeah. who plays it. 
He has great hair and Ugh. he like <laughs> is so good progressively looking more and more haunted as the movie goes on. And I dug that a lot. But the like final kind of criticism I'll say is like it never feels like there's any stakes in this movie. You know, in Poltergeist, immediately the daughter is like kidnapped and it's like, here's the stakes. It's like the ghost has kidnapped your daughter. And this, Carol Ann back. And the exorcism, this woman is possessed by right. a demon. But in this, the it's just up. like right. we moved into this house. Ooh, there's creepy things happening. When is it going to get so creepy that we'll move out? And then eventually right. the end, they're like, man, this is really creepy. We should move. It's a real estate drama. Right. right. And they move. And <laughs> we, had, we spent all this. It was $80,000. Yeah. And the, the final like, written thing on the screen is like, and they moved without gathering any of their possessions. <laughs> never came back. That's how the lamp got fucking all in it. Yeah. That's true. I'm just saying like, that's very low stakes. <laughs> so it's kind of hard for me yeah. to like get really invested in this. Yeah. This real estate situation just sell the house and move <laughs> right. dude especially and i know this was like 1970s um real estate market but like you know we've looked for, for a house oh yeah here um, what is it eighty thousand? Yeah, she was like huge eighty thousand. it might as well be eight hundred thousand <laughs> like, no. right no. exactly it was uh, oh, a bummer i would leave that house immediately and you can watch The Simpsons' um, Treehouse of Horror version yes. in like three minutes. So oh. that was like, Amity, the Amityville Horror was always a bug in my head because of that Simpsons episode. Oh. We just had one on VHS and watched it over and over again with the blood and the, the knives. <laughs> yeah, all that sounds so familiar, even though I've never seen that movie, just from The Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. There's so many horror classics that, until you catch up with them. Yeah. Oh, so good. So, have you been watching any horror classics or otherwise, Brandon? Not classics. Basically, like my movie decisions right now are like I leave it up to my watch list and the shuffle option on Letterbox. Dangerous. And just pick whatever's shortest and available on something I already pay for. Uh, so, I watched a movie from Lucio Fulci the other day called Cat in the Brain. Ooh. Uh, cat and the Brain or cat in the Brain? In the Brain. Yeah. The cat is inside his Sick. brain. And as soon as the opening <laughs> credits, it's Lucio Fulci playing himself. At his writing desk, writing like a screenplay for a horror film, and there's a cat inside his brain clawing at the brain meat, and he keeps writing like <laughs> weirder stuff every time it eats the hamburger ah, brain that he's got inside his head. Yum yum yum. Uh, this movie is wild. It's it's from 1990, so it's like past its heyday. Wow. Um, if you don't know Fulci, he's kind of like the cheaper, nastier like Argento, like <laughs> even more misogynist and like into the violence. But his movies are fun because they're so wild. This is him in the 90s kind of doing a precursor to what Wes Craven would later do in like Scream and in um, New Nightmare. Like it's Fulci playing himself at the end of his career and he's directing these disgusting gore gags in these uh, movies and then leaving to go order food at a restaurant or to do like household chores like chopping up um, firewood with a chainsaw and then he keeps having these hallucinations like the steak tartare that he orders becomes the blood soaked meat from the cannibal movie he was just filming or like the firewood becomes like chopped up limbs from some chainsaw maniac movie he was filming so the movie's just like really fun like what toll has all these horror movies Mm. had on my psyche over the years reflection from him but it's also this like cheap thing he's doing where he's recycling the best of his gore moments from over the years. It's like his hallucinations, quote unquote, aren't filmed for this movie for the most part. (laughs) They're just inserted (laughs) from past Fulci movies with better budgets. Oh Uh, my God. And eventually his psychiatrist starts like 
recreating murder scenes from Fulci movies to frame him for like the psychiatrist. Like, this is wild. It's so crazy and it's so cheap and nasty and gnarly. And mm-hmm. I had a great time with it. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm highly interested. And I know that you loved it. <laughs> it's great Halloween programming because okay. it's just like nothing but gore. And then every now and then this like horror legend talking about like what horror has done to his brain, <laughs> which I feel like this time of year, that's kind of what you want. You want to like think about horror and you want to watch some like disgusting kills. Yeah. And then be like, that's going to be me one day. That's what it's going to do to my brain. Right? Is this streaming anywhere? Yes. Um, I got it free on Canopy, but okay. the version on there was very muddy. Really? Uh, Tubi actually has a much better copy in HD. <laughs> Tubi to the rescue again. Tubi comes through. But with Tubi, you have to watch like progressive insurance ads every like right. five minutes. So, uh, you Good know, pick breaks. your poison. Which adds to the horror. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. The horror of the Won't modern flow world. leave me alone. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I'm so mad at like, I don't know. I... This must have happened in the past, but I feel like every Halloween commercial I see just makes me mad. Like the Geico Halloween commercials. I'm like, Geico, you have car insurance. Leave Halloween alone. The only acceptable ones are like Halloween toy commercials. When it's like Halloween versions of toys. That's it. Yeah. Everything else shouldn't touch it. Yeah. If, if McDonald's could bring back the uh, Dracula McNuggets, that would really... Uh, I would oh, man. For a Dracula McNugget. Or the Franken McNuggets. And a fucking like, glow-in-the-dark bucket with the Happy Meal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're going to do more celebratory, fun Halloween stuff today. Yeah. We're going to talk about horror musicals. For the most part, very expensive, extravagant, all-over-the-place mm-hmm. visions from like the 70s and 80s, and then one modern one to sort of mix yeah. it up. I have to say... I liked all of these movies. Uh, I thought this was a great episode. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. God, I love it. Yeah, loved all of them. And all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. Roll on thunder, shine on lightning. The days are long and the nights are frightening. Nothing matters anywhere and that's the hell of it. Winter comes and the winds blow colder Well, some go wiser, you just grew older You never listened anyway And that's the hell of it Good for nothing, bad in bed Nobody likes you and you're better off dead Goodbye, goodbye We've all come to say goodbye, 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 goodbye. Born defeated, died in vain Super destructive, you were hooked on pain And though your music lingers on All of us are glad you're gone If I could live my life half as worthlessly as you I'm convinced that I'll wind up burning too Today we're going to be talking about horror movie musicals mm. And there's a lot out there And I think that we, we like picked the top four ultimate ones Minus... Repo the genetic opera. We're not going to be talking about it, but I think the it, lore is the and one. The lore. That one hurt. I was like, I had to pick between two. <laughs> they didn't make it. If we would have done like uh, a, a top 10, yeah. But eh. I also, I feel like Sweeney Todd is Sweeney like an Todd. obvious pick. Yeah. yeah. But I'm glad that we didn't do Sweeney Right. We like time. to have a bit of surprise yeah. with yeah. our selections. And I think we did that with all of these. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't trade any of these movies for Repo the Genetic Opera myself. <laughs> Me either. I'm not, not going to lie. I would lie if I said I would. So the first one we're going to be talking about is Phantom of the Paradise, um, which is a very bizarre 
rock musical, horror musical that just kind of floats around and like no one really knows too much about it. And it's really good. So I'm glad we get to shed some light on it. This is a Del Palma movie. Um, so you have a lot of the fun like split screen mm-hmm. shots and kind of wackadoodle use of color, which is a lot of fun. But this <laughs> this film, and I'm going to try my best to explain the plot. It is about this songwriter and his name is Winslow Leach. I hate that name. Mm. But Winslow, who was played by William Finley, which he's a college buddy of Del Palma. So there's the connection there, but he's a songwriter and he wrote this like, I don't know the musical name, Cantata? Yeah, Cantata. About kind of like the opera Faust, but songs kind of relating to it. And he plays piano and sings them in this like very cool, like, you know, hippy dippy like songwriter sense. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to get the attention of this big old music producer named Swan. Just Swan, played by Paul Williams of Muppet fame. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also a walking, talking human Muppet. Like he just looks right? like a Muppet. Yeah, he looks like a Muppet. <laughs> Which I'll get into that. <laughs> um, so he's trying to get the attention of Swan. And Swan is basically like, get this guy the fuck out of here. But I'm going to steal all his songs. And I'm going to let like my other band sing it. Like there's the juice. No, the, is it the Juicy Fruits? Yep. Mm-hmm. The, the Juicy Fruits. There's like a Beach Boys. And they become knockoff. the Beach Bums. Oh, okay. The Beach Bums. Right. And then the Undeads is the same group. And um, I think it's just kind of like a satire of how like they're just kind of like this band that just molds to whatever they have to, mm-hmm. to to make money and sell records but he gives the juicy fruits um the songs and winslow makes his way back into swan's big record studio which is death records and the symbol is this very cool dead bird so once he's there there's a ton of women who are like singing this song waiting to audition for swan and Winslow is like, hey, that's my my song. This is my music. But I don't see my name anywhere credited. Huh? Wow. Let me talk to Swan about this. And he's kind of like really chill about it the whole time. And one of the girls who's singing is played by Jessica Harper. And her character in this movie is named Phoenix. And, you know, they kind of have this moment where he's like kind of showing her how to sing the song and the way that he wants it to be sung. And I, I don't know, like her, she does have like a beautiful singing voice. It's just like super deep, which I really like. Sultry. Well, um, it turns out that these women are auditioning, but also in order to get Swan's attention, they all have to like make out and fuck in this giant room. So Winslow kind of disguises himself as a girl by like throwing, <laughs> just putting a muumuu on. Yeah. A little wig. Classic yeah. like cross-dresser sitcom plot. <laughs> right. Like, God. To get into the you know evil facility, right. you have to, like pass yourself off the as evil one of the- like lesbian sex bed. Yes, mm. and obviously he's caught. And once he is caught, Swan is like, "Get this guy out of here." Also, let's frame him for drugs and beat the shit out of him. So he gets beaten up. So well, music is stolen. First thing, he gets beaten up, and he gets sentenced to life in Sing Sing prison. <laughs> In this very Looney Tunes way. Like, I feel like the whole, like, arrest and courtroom, like, your sentence to life in prison thing looks like something that would happen to, like, Bugs Bunny. I really liked it. So, in once he's in prison, they do some kind of, like, experimental thing on his mouth. And they basically take his teeth out and replace it with metal. And while he's 
doing his prison work, he hears the, which now the beach bums playing his song on the radio and it freaks him out and he loses his shit, escapes prison, finds his way into like the record factory where they actually make vinyls for death records and he slips and falls and smashes his head into a vinyl like making machine and turns out like whenever they were doing this stunt they were like they put like padding on the record wheels of like the, the record press and they put something in the middle so like yeah we'll turn the machine on and it'll stop because we have this thing jabbed in the middle and it didn't stop. So <gasps> oh, he literally shit. almost died. Oh um, my God. Which is why his scream is like super realistic. Yeah. Cause yeah, he was like pulled out like just in time before his head got smashed and he became the real phantom. But anyway, in the movie, yes, his head gets smashed and then his like face is deformed. And then also his vocal cords are fucked up. So he can't sing, got metal teeth, has a fucked up head. So he runs to the paradise, which is, this music venue that Swan is opening and the reason, you know, the auditions and everything were happening is, is for the opening act. So when he's there, he finds like a costume room and he puts on a cape and this like silver owl helmet. Mm. Right. God, looks like an so owl. Cool. It's super cool. And black lipstick, obviously. Yeah. Which is a nice contrast against those shiny chrome teeth he's got. Oh, it's yeah. so gross. Nasty. I love it. And he kind of starts to, like, haunt. Like, at first, it's like, oh, is he going to haunt it? Like, the Phantom of the Opera. It doesn't last for that long. Like, he literally, like, has a, you know, one moment where he, like, blows up the stage while the beach bums are playing. Almost kills them. Well, he strikes anytime someone's playing one of his songs, right? Because he, like, also kills beef for playing one of his songs. Anyone except Jessica Harper. The the Phantom, I think. But like, it's just weird how, well, here's where like the Faust storyline kind of pulls in and pushes that Phantom of the Opera thing kind of out there (laughs) is Paul Williams is essentially the devil. And like in Faust, you know, that's essentially about making a deal with the devil for talent. And he makes a deal with Paul Williams where Paul Williams is like, we'll give you credit for your music. And he's like, but only Phoenix can sing it. And he signs his contract in blood, which I guess like makes him immortal and binded with Satan, a.k.a. Paul Williams, who looks like a little boy. It's so weird that he's like Satan and he's like this evil guy, but he looks like a child. Well, there's also the picture of Dorian Gray on top of all that. Right. Paul Williams has his own deal with the devil. Yes. In the tub. (laughs) Yeah. That keeps him young forever. Deals on deals. So the fact that he's like an old little boy is like kind of part of his. An ancient child. But yeah, like you were saying, Brandon, like, I mean, God, I don't want to get too long winded with the description of it. But yes, they give his music not to Phoenix, but to Beef, who is this like glam rock. <laughs> I love Beef. I, I kind of I love his character. Yeah. Like, I kind of hate Beef. I think Beef is like the worst thing about this movie. Really? Yes. I think he's like making fun of like glam rock, gender bending stuff. And yeah. he does it with this like sissy lisp. Yeah. And he like prances around. And I'm like, what is this for? Like, it was just, I felt like it was like making fun of like, I think it was, yeah, Bowie fun and T Rex and all these other bands that I Because he, he really looks like, like he'd be in T Rex. So yeah. I was like, if anything. So, yeah. So Beef plays his music and the Phantom actually warns him and is like, hey, if you play my music on stage tonight at the Paradise, I'm going to murder you. And Beef tries to leave, but they talk him into staying and then he gets electrocuted. 
and he then um the phantom then sees phoenix and tr- and brings it to the rooftop and is like with his voice box that swan gave him trying to like tell her everything that's going on and she kind of doesn't believe him and she gets super fucked up on something i don't know maybe she took like mushrooms or something like that and she signs the deed with swan and then is set to like marry him on stage of the paradise but swan plans on murdering her before they get married mm-hmm. and then the phantom finds out and yeah that whole final concert scene just erupts into chaos it's yeah. pure chaos where it's just like everyone thinks it's like part of the show yeah but it's a so anyway that's essentially phantom of the paradise so what are y'all thought <laughs> i um yeah, like I said before, I loved all of these movies, but I so I'd never seen Phantom of the Paradise and I I just thought it was so fun. I thought it was a great like yeah. modern twist on the Phantom. Like I just loved him like getting his face burned by a record. I don't know. I just Yeah, like thought- the actual record industry is literally yeah, scarring him. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um his costume was I like that they didn't go like full phantom with like, oh, the white mask. He's this like weird metallic owl mask. So cool. And his setup in the studio, because so uh, once he signs the contract with Swan, they set him up in this little record or this little recording room. And it's like this almost like a just like a black like a circle. He's yeah. surrounded by these machines and he's just like writing and singing and thinking about phoenix uh, kind of obsessively and it's like it reminded me of this like very cool short story by james tiptree jr about this girl who is like um plugged in to this machine that creates an avatar of like a pop star in the real world that's so cool yeah so he's just like like his voice is so ragged and Mm -hmm. then swan makes these like modulators to bring it back out i don't know i just like the all of the images were very cool it was a very cool like weird supernatural sci-fi world mixed with the like just like the the record industry like the music industry and how um toxic and predatory it is yeah, yeah there's that casting couch gag and like one of the op- like one of the yeah, that, songs. yeah it's like really not mincing any words like right this industry is fucking terrible it yeah choose hundreds of women up right. and spits them out immediately yeah. yeah yeah and you sign your life away oh and the, when they're going through the contract like Sw- swan's like oh what does this mean and it's like all articles not included in this contract are included in the contract and he's swan's like oh yeah that's to protect you you're fine you know and that's totally how like people just manipulate young stars into signing their life away basically mm-hmm. i thought yeah that was the parts i liked the most were the really satirical parts about the record industry and like the parts that and it's been a little while since i've seen it but the parts i struggled with were like the humor yeah i felt was very um i don't know like silly i guess broad sophomore and like mm. i know De Palma, who is one of my favorite directors and i know his career started by doing these kind of slapstick comedies. And this was like in the middle period where he was segueing into what he's kind of known for. So it was interesting to see the visual style was Mm -hmm. definitely there. And the like dark kind of satirical undercurrents were there, but like the broad sophomore humor 
was there. And that's the part that like didn't quite resonate. Yeah. yeah. Beef is a huge problem for me. Beef, beef yeah. is the broadest this movie gets. Yeah. But it, this still feels like pure De Palma to me. Mm. And like the real tip off is the fact that, you know, we've done a lot of his movies on here. I feel like we've we really have. gotten yeah, we've known. <laughs> I think we, what we did like Blowout uh, as a movie of the month early on. We did on. Obsession. Recently. Uh-huh. Body Double we did on the podcast. Sisters we did recently. All, a bunch those, of good stuff. All good, yeah. All of those get accused of being these like Hitchcock ripoffs. And like he's supposed to be like just modernizing Hitchcock for like mm-hmm. 70s and 80s mm-hmm. audiences. And what's really funny to me is like you're going to watch this movie and you're like, okay, a fucking horror musical, like rock opera version of Phantom of the Opera. He, this is like his, his least Hitchcock movie that he's done. And then the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, oh, that's the shower scene from Psycho where Beef gets stabbed in the shower. Right. Yeah. Or the early credits have like these like Saul Bass graphics really calling back to like Hitchcock's like uh, opening credit iconography. And then also the split screen, which is like Mm -hmm. De Palma's main thing. Like sisters did that a lot. Yeah. Like almost half the movie feels like split screens. In this one, you have this long sequence where we watch the Phantom put a bomb in a trunk and the mm. bomb is um, oh, such a good one. Going to go off, but the audience knows it, but the uh, the people in the scene don't know it. Which is like Hitchcock 101, that like bomb under the table analogy he makes mm-hmm. about how much more tense it is if the audience knows that right. something's going to go off. I was just like surprised by that. That like I thought this was going to be the furthest we'd get away from like De Palma as Hitchcock light, and yet he's doing it all here. But that that's why I would be really interested because I haven't watched any of his films before this that are strictly comedies. And I think since this one, he did one that I know of, which was a bomb, which was bonfire of the vanities, yeah, which tanked. And everyone said, it's like the worst comedy they've ever seen. <laughs> and so like, I'm very curious to know, like can De Palma do comedy? Cause like yeah. you get so caught up in the visual tricks and that's his style. But like, I don't know if he's a comedic filmmaker. I could be wrong. I haven't seen the earlier stuff, but this kind of led me in the direction of, eh, I don't know if comedy is really his bag, but spectacle and like visual style. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's stuff that's funny in here. Yeah. But it's not like the jokes, you know? Yeah. Right. It's broadly funny. I think the juicy fruits were funny. <laughs> like the idea yeah. of them. Yeah. Beca- I think the his ideas are funny. Like beef, I think is would have been funny if it wouldn't have been like, oh, he's not funny because he talks with this high pitched voice and is like, you know, cartoonishly flamboyant. Like it would have been funny if he just would have been this just a douchebag. I mean, it's a homophobic joke, is basically yeah. what I'm yeah. saying. I don't see no, man, like, no. I, took, I took him so earnestly. Like really? I yeah, but but I think you're totally right. But now I'm like disappointed. I d I don't like I don't know. I was I, I don't know why I I don't know. I kind of wish I grew up with beef. A lot of people love beef. I think even like among (laughs) horror nerds, like beef is like a, oh my God, I love that. But I think it's people who grew up with it and I'm like watching it. Yeah. I've only seen this movie twice. So his facial structure and his like just hairstyle, like with like his dead look, like when he gets electrocuted, it reminds me so much of um, Salome's last dance, kind Mm -hmm. of the look that a lot of those characters had. He looks like a statue in motion. Yes. Like, I don't know. I love that the guy they picked to play him. Yeah. He had that like physique and that look for everything that kind of happens to him. The spooky stuff. And I, I liked that he was just like, yeah, I'm not, 
staying around for this shit like this. Yeah. But no, then sure he's like drawn back into and it. And when he then... says he's leaving, there's like, I'm going to go stay with my mother. Yeah. Like, I don't know. No, you're I, right. You're it, totally it, it right. Just kept I was souring just like, me. I wanted to like yeah. it more than I could. No, yeah. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. And that is disappointing. I wish he could have just been like a straightforward, cool, glam rock guy. But the ideas are funny because he's a maximalist in general. Mm-hmm. Um, our friends at the uh, We Love to Watch podcast, uh, Aaron always says, you know, this movie feels like it was directed by a sentient bag of cocaine. Um, <laughs> I, I think this movie in particular fits that bill. Like, yeah. Especially by the end, that like crescendo where like every hippie at the paradise is like flooded mm-hmm. the stage. Yeah. And, like, it's like Brave New World stuff. So, it's like pure ecstasy. Everyone's just yeah. writhing around. There was an interview I watched a couple weeks ago. It was like, I think it was the Dick Cavett show and it was De Palma and Scorsese. I watched that, yeah. Have you seen it? And like this was like late seventies, early eighties. Oh man. Oh my god. You talk about <laughs> they were obviously like coked up wow. and just could not stop talking about film. Yeah. And film history, film technique. The and it was just so cool to see. But I could imagine at that time period, De Palma was like coked out of his gore. Yeah. Well, no what, doubt. What influenced De Palma to make this movie is he was in an elevator and the elevator music was a Beatles song. Like it was like an elevator music mm-hmm. version of a Beatles song. Mm. And he was like, God, this is fucked up. Like that. It's so like Mark, you know, mainstream marketed. Like yeah. this really good song is being used for this shit. So right. he then oh. was like in- kind of inspired to like make this, which is like the sat- satire of music industry. So he's probably super coked out in that elevator. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, one, one thing I kind of want to talk about a little bit is like Phoenix Phoenix is such an interesting character in here because I think Jessica Harper was so good for this because she kind of looked like she's sultry, as we've said earlier, but Mm -hmm. she has this like classic beauty look that doesn't look modern, I guess. So you've got like all this modern for like, you know, what Mm -hmm. is it? 74, you know, dressed and styled women and you have her and she's just kind of like singing and shrugging her shoulders a little bit and just kind of like, hey, jazzy, jazzy. And like shuffling around. Um, but she's like also this goddess. So I think that's really cool. And um, Sissy Spacek was supposed to play Phoenix. That's good casting too. Um, she didn't make it though. But as we all know, she was in another Del Palma movie not that long after this, which was like her her breakout role. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm glad Jessica Harper got cast though because she yeah. not in enough movies. Yeah. She should have been a star. She was in another musical where she sang. What's that? It's called Shock Treatment. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about that later. Bitchin' uh, in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. I did not enjoy Shock Treatment. Maybe I should revisit it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she also sang. So she doesn't, And it's kind of a spooky mute. Uh, in a way, it's kind of spooky. It was supposed to be a follow-up to another movie we're talking about later. Um, it just never hit it. Um, but yeah, she's great. I loved seeing her in here. I think we should talk about two things with each of these movies. Yes. And uh, this is a very, like, not nuanced thought. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very simple thought. But, like, how does its music work? And how does it work as a horror film? And yeah, personally, the music in here is not my favorite. Mm-hmm. It's Here's the thing about the music. It's good. But I can't give you a fucking lyric. I don't it's remember any. It's not yeah. catchy. It's not memorable. But it's, like, w- if I found like a record i'd buy it and i would listen yeah. to it i remember I that i liked the first song i was like i think it works cool. better as a horror movie than a musical i agree the musical mm-hmm. parts aren't my favorite yeah moments but but right. the horror elements like 
you touched on or kind of borrowed from, you know, Faust or Dorian Gray or Phantom of the Opera or whatever. But so, what kind of a madman puts all those together? <laughs> and then also the character design is like iconic. Oh, that's right. And that's fabulous. its own thing. That yeah, the is, visual thing, the yeah. costumes, yeah. great. My two favorite parts the character design and that recording room that like yeah. black hole well the whole work and the recording studio too looks yeah. like a spaceship right on the inside like you're watching a sci-fi movie yeah and it's also got i've got this old dark house feel where like there's all these hidden corridors and mm-hmm. like yeah. it feels like ancient and futuristic at the same time yeah i think it works better as a horror movie than as a musical yeah. just because i i don't know i'm not particularly fond of the, the 70s uh music in this like yeah, that sort of like laid back AM radio rock and roll, where it's like yes. kind of barefoot, smoking pot on the yeah. porch. Hey, uh, we win. I think another. I think another question is like, what is the perfect mixture of horror and good music? Because obviously, it has to like lean one way or the other. We're yeah. talking about horror musicals, and it can't be totally horrific because then the music wouldn't really work. So. I don't feel like the balance is totally right in yeah. this one. But I think for one or two of the later ones we're going to talk about, yeah. very, very good mix. So I kind of wish there would have been more, like, as he was turning into the Phantom, like, there should have been a song there about him turning into the Phantom that he sang. You know, like, this is my voice box. And I don't know that I left this movie wanting team. more uh, like that. Like, <laughs> I've left exhausted. Like, that was a lot. It's a lot to <laughs> keep was, up with. So like, much. It's so hard to to be like, wait, what happened with his fucking songs now? Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. I don't understand. I saw this for the first time about 10 years ago. I had completely forgotten the first 30 minutes. Like, I had completely forgotten his, like, like pre-phantom. pre-phantom life. Yeah, because he's boring. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Watching it again someone recently, I, I think the climax is really exciting. Oh, that really yeah. leaves you on a high note. For I yeah, like the, that. Um, the I crow love ladies. Oh, yeah. The big raven ladies. I just love when a film like just kind of, it's like you're going up a roller coaster. Yeah. yeah. And you finally reach the precipice at the right time. Yeah. And just so yeah, the good. roller coaster just, it's like they stopped building it and then you just, <laughs> just fly crash. off. Yeah. yeah. And it feels like you're watching a document of a genuine party. Like that looks like it was yeah. fun to film. Everyone in that audience is like just mm-hmm. going ape shit. Yep, just stabbing. Yep, stabbing away. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> a stab. <laughs> Michael Rainey was there the day the earth stood still, but he told us where we stand. And Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear. Claude Rains was the invisible man Then something went wrong For Fay Ray and King Kong They got caught in a celluloid jam Then at a deadly pace It came from outer space And this is how the message ran
earlier this year, I made y'all watch this 80s musical from Australia called hmm. oh, Starstruck. Starstruck. And it reminded me a lot of Rocky Horror. So when I did mm-hmm. our like movie of the month, like bonus features article I always do, I rewatched Rocky Horror for that. Yeah. And I was watching this film that like, I got to say, I'm like kind of embarrassed to love. We're like, my whole life, this movie has meant a lot to me. Yeah. And it's an embarrassing thing to call yourself a Rocky Horror fan because there's this whole built-in culture around it where there's this whole theater kid routine where everyone shows up and does their like yeah. uh, call and responses to the movie and like acts it out on top of it. And if you ever go see Rocky Horror in person, it's kind of a nightmare yeah. if you're yeah. not 15. Yeah. If you're 15, it's great. Right. Especially for the theater workers. Oh, yeah. It's know? just a total mess. <laughs> Bread yeah. everywhere. Oh. I don't know how Britannia does it every year, to be honest, but I'm sure it brings in more money than they get for most of their midnight screenings. Yeah. And that's another thing. Rocky Horror has been in the cultural zeitgeist forever because it is the longest running cinematic release ever. It's been constantly running in theaters for like half a century now. So it's one of those things that's like, it's like recommending air or water to me. Like, yeah, I I'd sort of taken it for granted how good this movie is and rewatching it earlier this year. I was like, this is a roadmap to my brain. <laughs> Everything I love about art, I feel like this movie taught me from like the fetishism of cross-dressing to the glam rock music, the punk fashion, and most of all, the B-movie homage. Like it does this full 1950s all the way up to 1970s, like Mm -hmm. rundown of every B-movie horror and sci-fi trope. And I feel like when I originally saw it, I would not have known this was a parody because I was a child. So like right. this was an authentic object to me. Like this mm-hmm. is what a, a goofy horror or sci-fi movie could be like. And basically taught me to love that art form. Yeah. yeah. I'm used to this film as a VHS watch on my own without the theater full of people. Yes. And I feel like the larger cultural reputation reputation it has is as a communal experience, which mm-hmm. is like very different from that. I think if you sit down and watch this movie, it still holds up as like a five-star classic and one of my favorite movies of all time still. I don't know that I need to do a plot synopsis because it is air and water, but let's just say a young couple um, who are recently engaged arrive at a spooky old castle that happens to be full of um, space aliens, Frankensteins, and uh, cannibals um, who try to turn them into cross-dressing perverts. And uh, by the end... The aliens have had enough and are leaving this earth behind. And uh, they take the whole fucking castle with them. <laughs> and forsaking Tim Curry's character, who is the Dr. Frankenstein type, yeah. uh, for trying to yeah. waste their time on weird pervert experiments on earth when they uh, have, <laughs> have like uh, better things to do back on their home planet. I don't know. I, I don't even know where, know where to start here. Does anybody have the same experience? Like, is this like a cornerstone movie for anybody else? It kind of is for me, and I've actually never seen it in the theater. Okay. Um, but growing up, this was actually this is one of my dad's top three favorite movies, and we, at least once I was like twelve, thirteen years old, we watched it every Halloween. Yeah. Um, so that was my memory, just growing up watching this with my dad, and also wondering in the back of my head, like, why is this my dad's favorite? Movie? <laughs> I don't know. I love that this is one of your dad. I, I love he picturing your dad in fishnets. It's really right. Looks yeah. so. I feel like. You're well, okay, never mind. So. Yeah, we won't go into my what <laughs> okay. why the is this my, my your father. But with like dad like so my dad is the one that like this came on TV when I was like eight and we were like in Biloxi on a vacation 
And my mom was like, oh, like, it was me and my cousin. And I vividly remember this. We were, like, in some, like, flamingo motel. And she was like, they're too young to watch that. My dad's like, no, it's good shit. Let them watch it. We watched that when we were younger. And I was like, cool. Whoa. Um, (laughs) And fell in love with it and got, like, stupid obsessed with it. But what's so interesting about this movie, though, is, like, my dad is, like, a pretty, like, not like a macho dude, but, you know, he's... Kind of like a old Cajun dude. And He's like, a working man. And him and his buddies like don't shit on this movie. Like, mm-hmm. and I've never heard anyone like you know say, "Hey, oh, you watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show?" Like, and try to like push it off as being like a you know a feminine thing to yeah. do or anything. That's what's strange too. Like with my dad, we politically, I would not think uh-huh. this would be, but it right. just is his because it's so. <laughs> There's something about it. It's, it's so infectious. It's fucking like mm-hmm. it's a fucking rock and roll movie. Like, though. I, I like, was it's ta- badass. I was talking about it with him this morning, actually, because he called me and I was telling him about the podcast. And he was like, <laughs> oh, he's like, my God, Tim Curry. And that is just the best performance We're watching ever. Right? Your show, yeah. Dad. Oh my God. <laughs> like, sure. I, I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong. Right. Tim Curry is it's so, so hot. fantastic. He's so hot, hot in and this like movie. tough as fucking nails. Yeah. yeah. And I think it just shows that like if anything, the lingerie that like he wears and the other cast members wear, it just like makes them almost more like just badass and like seem stronger in a way. It's so like I don't know, mm-hmm. I love it. I also feel like this arrived at a time where it was cool to blur gender boundaries mm-hmm. yeah this is like post-sexual revolution and like pre-aids homophobia so like mm-hmm. the t-rexes and the bowies of the world the thing that beef is making fun of like those were the coolest guys on the fucking planet yeah, yeah. and they were bisexual weirdos who cross-dress um, and like people like basically threw their underwear at them and you know something that struck me watching this again recently is like the tim curry his character is like very tragic in a way that I didn't really realize watching it as a kid or in my early 20s. Like, he kind of created this little social thing on Earth and then it gets left behind. I felt like very sad for him in a way that in the well, beginning, yeah, like but, 15 minutes of him crying about yeah. being left behind. And yeah. he, I mean, he also does like just create beings to like fuck around with and then kind of leaves them in the freezer he abandons them so he you know he there are That's, reasons but that for is jam- what's tragic about right. it he's he's like extremely lonely and he's come to earth he's to, a hot dog yeah and he's a chaotic <laughs> presence in anyone else's life like his main goal right. as soon as brad and janet arrive is like i'm gonna fuck both of them <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, freak them yeah. out uh, and he pretty much does and, yeah he you know, totally does <laughs> i'm gonna make them purr right yeah. <laughs> Yeah, by That's the time crazy. everybody is dressed like him on the stage, it's like yeah. this whole little cult he is put aside for himself finally like comes to fruition. There's this moment in the floor show where you could tell the spell has worn off and they're just full on like, we love this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, because they're starting at first you're like, oh, they're being controlled. But after, you know, the, is it the transducer <laughs> yeah. that they pull down and kind of push it you know like mm-hmm. holds them on the stage and controls their bodies after all that shit's done like no they're over the, the spell doesn't work anymore the the magic it's help that they're me, just mommy <laughs> help me mommy um god bless the saints here but yeah i watch this like at least on a monthly basis it's one of my bedtime movies i have mm. do you have bedtime movies that you put on like 
I do not have a TV in my bedroom. Well, there's <laughs> missing out, dude. <laughs> yeah, this is a great bedtime movie. I am missing out. Like I, I felt embarrassed by how much I love this movie for a long time. I think it's because mm-hmm. the like you were saying, like I saw it live. Like when I first moved here, I was like, holy shit! Like there's this fucking place called Britannia. Mm-hmm. They do midnight showings. Holy shit! And I went, and I was just like, why is everybody yelling? I can't pay attention to the right? movie. Yeah, and. It's kind of like the room screenings are like yeah, that now. Like it, it got kind of obnoxious and like it's almost like people, the way that they act towards it, it's like y'all aren't really getting it. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you're like, oh, this is weird. And I'm just going to talk about how weird it is because it's going to make me interesting. And I'm just like, man, that's not what this shit's about. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I just didn't vibe well with it. And I'm like, I'm just going to crawl back in my bed and pop this on as my bedtime that's movie. I feel like, like, not seeing it in the theater like if you just watch it at home like you pick up on little subtle Mm -hmm. like watching again there was like another thing that struck me was like wow these sets are really sparse Mm -hmm. but beautifully designed oh yeah Yeah. like must have had a micro budget but like damn it looks cool and Mm -hmm. it's just a room with like three props and very good lighting and like that's what really struck me was like damn they really did a lot to create this ambiance with like very little. I do want to defend these kids a little bit because it is like cringy to not be part of that and walk in on it, but it is like mm-hmm. a community building thing where like yeah, oh totally, it's yeah. young gay weirdos for the most part like finding community yeah. among each other. It's just like I don't need to be there for yeah. that. I'm like an introvert when it comes to stuff like that where I'm just like it I kind don't know of these people <laughs> right where I'm like this is cool, but I'm like it just feels and I, I know like y'all probably feel the same way where it's like so special like it's it's super special to me because it like it opened my mind to all this shit where I'm like this is awesome and I'm into a lot of shit going on in here and like it was just this comfort movie for me growing up mm-hmm. through all this the dumb shit that I went through and it's kind of like you walk into something like that I'm like y'all are taking my special thing and like making it obnoxious and I don't want that to happen yeah. like I don't want to ever like be like fuck I don't feel like watching this again another thing I'll say though is they kind of saved the movie from going away yeah. it, no, totally. it bombed and then it was re-released actually as a double bill with Phantom of the Paradise um, to oh, college perfect. campuses. And from there, I think specifically in New York, that's yeah. when like the um, cult started growing. Uh, this movie, Pink Flamingos and Reefer Madness started this like midnight movie circuit. It's like kind of where that like pot smoking, rowdy screening kind of began. Yeah. So they've earned their right to like, manipulate and pervert what it is but i do feel like you lose a lot if you've only experienced it that way yeah totally my introduction to rocky war was in the theater so like when i transferred to tulane i found a uh, a student group which is like a group of queer women and it was like the first time that i went out with a group of queer women like as a queer person and so I got like like my black shorts on and like a lip tank top and I was like very excited um, and, and it, that it felt like a community creating thing. It was like nice and all of these other women, they were older than me and they had gone to this before. So it was like totally an entry point for me to like join in with them and then I got like way too drunk and I threw up in the bushes and oh, I the threw my top in the bushes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then when we finally went into the theater, I like could not I was so drunk and I could not engage with anything that was happening. I didn't have any bread and 
I fell asleep. So (laughs) (laughs) honestly, that's the perfect rocking experience, though. And I do. So I like very much prefer watching Rocky Horror, especially without the call and response. Like I like the rice. The rice throwing is fine, except for like I also worked in a movie theater in high school, so I understand how much of a nightmare that would be to clean everything up. But it's like I just wanted to watch the movie straight without hearing like this all this other dialogue but i also really appreciate it as a community builder especially for people who are like i don't know like shy about sexuality and like want to become a part of something like i just feel like that's such a fun tradition for queer people now and now there there is also like a lot of kickback against rocky horror for it's like kind of like you know there are like parts of it that haven't aged well to people but the terminology I, has changed since right exactly the movie came out. Mm-hmm. yeah but i i just feel like it's such a cool celebration of otherness and like an opposition to heteronormativity i think that scene where frankenfurter is like essentially sexually assaulting both of them in their beds like my modern brain tells me I should not be laughing politically, at this. this is wrong. Politically, this is wrong. Right. And it, but I'm like, fuck that. This shit is funny. And, you know, I, I feel like there's probably yeah. other stuff in there. Yeah, like it that, is but. funny when Frankenfurt is like, oh, I'm afraid so, Brad. <laughs> it's like, it, that was it's like. wrong, but it's like, <laughs> yeah. that's the joke. It's I have like, to, he's so That was seductive. an awakening moment for me almost where I'm like, whoa, like. Oh, you can do that? You can do it all, <laughs> right. man. And I'm like. Wow, and like they're vibing with it. This yeah. this may get me in trouble to say out loud, but like say I it. feel like genre filmmaking and fiction in general, and especially pornography, it's okay to do things that are politically wrong. It is a fantasy space, and as long as yeah. like you, as long as it's okay to have discussions around those points, right. I'm not trying to shut down anybody who has issues to raise and like pointing out like why you shouldn't do that in real life right it's okay to live out of sexual fantasy yeah in a fictional scenario yeah. right and that's like a very real sexual fantasy like especially with brad and frankenfurter like a man coming into his bed you know pretending to be a woman and then realizes it's a man like oh actually like this I mean, is this. See, really see what's like interesting this. so Keep like <laughs> remember we what was the movie we watched um Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, God. And there's a scene oh, there where he pretends to be the boyfriend Is of the that girl. that the Darth Vader? Yeah. And, it, and then she, oh, oh, you're this guy. Ooh, okay. And she goes with it. And it, it's essentially the same gag. Not that far apart in time. Like, that was the 80s. And yet that one felt it's so much fun. worse. Yeah. It's think, so more wrong. It's a fantasy. It, this it comes from that. Right. Like, <laughs> not, yeah. yeah. I guess well, and it's from it the bro lens. It's yeah. from the bro lens. Also, that, so does she realize that it's not her boyfriend? I think she does eventually. Oh. But At, after well, they've already had sex. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's the thing. It's and like, then she like wants to date him. Right. Which, you yeah. Know. It's like very early on, like Brad, uh, like two seconds in, Brad takes the wig off and right. he's like, What? And Frank you know, and his reaction like, is like, entirely different. <laughs> yeah. 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 supposed to marry And then it's like, after the fact, he's right. he, he's still like, it's And just, he even it like feels better about it it's than It's funny, does. like the subtle, it's a subtle change, a subtle difference, but man, it makes all the difference between something feeling really icky mm-hmm. and disgusting right. and still like feeling okay and kind of cool. I like that this movie kind of has the um, 
we're talking about like Washington Private. It kind of has the like feeling of like pornography that we've all seen, oh, which yeah. is like a uh, very rare cultural touchstone. Especially uh, um, the the Touch Me song where oh, Magenta and Columbia are watching, you know, Janet and Rocky. Yeah, that's a big one. That whole I want to feel dirty line is yeah. like probably an awakening that I had as a child. <laughs> and I, yeah, it's pretty rare that we get that. Like erotic content is usually pretty private. Mm-hmm. Like one of the only things to like really punch through was like Deep Throat way before we were born. And none of us have seen that movie in full, I'm guessing. Um, I, I don't even know what that is. Okay, well. <laughs> I mean, I know what it is, but I didn't know it was I've, a movie. I've seen the scene. The scene. Yeah. The titular scene. But okay, also maybe Cruel Intentions <laughs> would be the one from yeah. our, our like, childhood. Oh, Probably. Oh, the horse riding. Was that the first? <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Uh, Summer Blair uh, yeah, has yeah, her yeah, first yeah. orgasm horse mm-hmm. riding in that film. Yep. So yeah, it's like a thing that... It's supposed to be embarrassing in private. I do love mm-hmm. that there's a public display of affection for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know where my personal embarrassment comes from. It's just maybe an association with like a different experience than I had with it. Right. It's like it's like you're signaling you're a specific kind of person. Right. Based on your like Rocky Horror fandom. Yeah. When like I could be like Brittany and watching it every two weeks and like, you know, living my best life. I'm already ready to watch it again. <laughs> right. It's like, it's nine o'clock. I'm tired. Yeah. It's perv out. It's Rocky hour. I think that's a problem with fandoms in general. It's like if this, like there's this hyper hysteria about something that turns into like, not just I appreciate this work of art but like i am this kind of person because i'm into this your whole personality right exactly and then it's like hard to say like oh yeah i really love this but also i'm like i i I don't know i don't feel exactly like the people that i'm a huge steven universe fan but i'm not like a tumblr steven universe right yeah exactly (laughs) exactly another is like rick and morty like yeah the fandom is so bad rick and morty people but I've I've liked Rick and Morty episode, but I would never tell people right. like I'm into Rick and Morty. It's just like, no, mm. no, not good. <laughs> so I guess the only thing we can really say here that's like novel in any way is like if you've avoided this movie based on the public screenings yeah. or like if you haven't seen it in a while and you think it only works in that context, like it's a right. really good sit down and watch, you know, by yourself thing. Yeah. And. I guess the other thing I should say, just because these are the two metrics I laid out earlier, as a horror film, I think it works just as well as the genuine thing as it, than it does as a parody. Uh-huh. It's sending up a retro kind of sci-fi horror as soon as the opening credits where like uh, Richard O'Brien is singing through, I believe, Magenta's lips. Basically a history of the B-movie and like I know. classic mm-hmm. you know, sci-fi and horror stuff that's, that you should watch. <laughs> that's how I learned about like... Like half of the beat, like, you know, growing up, I was, you know, if like a movie would play and I was like, oh, um, a trip it. Right. <laughs> right. Poisoning. Oh, I'm like, oh, that's from the song. And then I'm like, cool. Like, you know, you start to kind of piece it all together. That didn't make sense. So I was like way older. When, when those lips came on, mm. it all came like I haven't seen this in a few years, actually. As soon as the lips came on screen, I'm like, oh, shit. That's right. That's yeah. the good stuff. That's it. And, then, <laughs> and then just that, you know, anticipation when Tim Curry finally comes down. Like, oh. oh, boy. Yeah. Anticipation. This is patient, patient, patient. <laughs> Oh, my God. And then music wise, this is my uh, favorite musical film. Yeah. Of, of Every song kills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're all so perfect. Like just a soundtrack on its own. Like it sounds like an album. I pretty much agree. I actually like 
the movie we're going to talk about next musically a little bit better. One, one thing I noticed is like, this is rock and roll. It's and glam I, rock. It's basically T-Rex. It sounds exactly like I was, Children of the Revolution. A lot, or when I was listening to a lot of the like, whatever. core progression stuff, reminding of like classic before T-Rex, like mm-hmm. just rock and roll. Like, no, 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 no. I mean, I I'm, I'm mostly talking about the vocals and not the. Mm-hmm. No, but see, the vo- the vocals are, to me, what's more memorable. Mm-hmm. When I was listening to just the guitars and I was like, oh, this is your standard rock blues kind of shtick. But man, the like the vocals and the lyrics are so memorable to me. That's where I fell on like the music. Very catchy songs. Yeah, mm-hmm. I th- the songs were even better than I remember. Like every single song was catchy and i just can't overstate how great tim curry his um transsexual transylvania like just the way that his voice like kind of it, it's like fluttering it's like pure velvet. sex oh my he god had a good <laughs> musical so career good. um i have like all his albums but yeah like if you if you liked his vocals in there like he has like a like an album well two albums that are very, very similar to like the style of music from Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. Too. Oh, I got what it. I would most recommend is the YouTube clip of him singing Toxic Love from Fern Gully. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, the, in the recording booth. Uh, it is amazing. Oh, boy. <laughs> but wait, oh, what's his, <laughs> he also has fabulous body language, though. Like every little moment, yeah. like his when he looks- like does the hit it part from Sweet Transvestite and he slaps himself on the ass in this like perfect moment where it just mm-hmm. it all vibes together or like when he's like running and he like throws his dress up yeah and like has his like fish like every little like movement that he does is so perfect yeah just the way he looks at janet and brad he's just like fucking everybody all the time i mean we can also say every member of the main cast extremely fuckable here yeah very (laughs) so hot Hot, hot, even richard o'brien yeah all day just stop i (laughs) creature of the night's my favorite song maybe dr scott too yeah, yeah. Why not? He's having fun. Yeah, That's come he's on, Doctor Scott. Rockets when he's got that leg like, up. Yeah, yeah. Let's see, yeah, the leg fetish in there. Whew. That God, swimming so pool ecstasy scene where they're all like kind of oh, accepted, mm, like yeah. they're yes. like the you know submission going. to the pleasure. That's just like swimming the warm waters. I wish every movie ended with that kind of like ecstasy, that kind yeah. of erotic like beautiful scene. Yeah, meltdown and just like uh. the melting makeup too. Mm. Oh, they all look yeah. so cold though. That castle set must have been like so freezing cold <laughs> after that pool. Right. Well, uh, we are going into the 1980s now with the next pick mm. and an official like Broadway musical. Yes. Yeah. And a film I had never seen that came out the year I was born, 1986, Little Shop of Horrors. Directed by Frank Oz, who Correct. did all the Muppet stuff. Yeah, this one I picked because, again, sort of like I was saying with Amityville Horror, just like a classic that totally I fell off my radar and I had never seen. And yeah, it's based off of, did the Broadway musical come first and then the movie in the yeah, 1960? Wait, no. The Corman movie definitely came first. The Corman movie came yeah. first and then the Broadway musical. Yeah. Yeah. And then this was based off the musical. Yes. And, it, you know, it stars Rick Moranis, who I know we all love. He shrinks his kids a lot. He, shrink, he shrinks his <laughs> Sometimes kids. he'd be blowing them up, And he though. blows them up, too. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's set in this, like, Skid Row, very, like, 
very dingy, awful place with lots of homeless people and drug addicts everywhere. But he works, he's Seymour who works in this little plant shop and he acquires this Venus flytrap called Audrey number two. Because he has a crush on the girl Audrey that works there. I love the name so much. Yeah, Audrey too. Is, he's not trying to hide it. In the original, uh, the, the plant's name is Audrey Jr., which is pretty funny. Audrey well. Jr., <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Venus flytrap has a thirst for blood. He has to start feeding the flytrap human flesh. And he, he grows. He becomes this big sensation. And then he kind of has this moral quandary of like, oh, I'm rich and famous, but... Uh, I have to keep feeding this monster. So it's sort of this like classic monster tale. But, you know, the musical numbers are all kind of, I guess, like doo-wop-y. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of Motown. Motown. Yeah. Like kind of your, I, I would say this is the most like, like you said, Broadway musical. It's from the two guys who did like the 80s and 90s Disney revival stuff. So like Little Mermaid and Breeding okay. the Beast and stuff like that. Yeah, and they, I love how there's um like the the Motown trio. Yeah, oh, the, yeah, the Greek chorus. The Greek chorus. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're kind of like the Ronettes. Yeah. Love it. I I love all these little jokes in the beginning about how awful Skid Row is. They talked about how they had to drop out of school and mm-hmm. you have literal like homeless people sleeping on the steps of the flower shop and there's this famous song in the beginning about Skid Row. Yeah. So the the whole thing, it's like obviously filmed in this like backlot studio. It looks very dingy and disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's great. Yeah. And then you have these like Broadway musical numbers, which are very catchy and fun. And my favorite aspect of this movie, Steve fucking yes. Martin Boo. as, as the dentist. dentist. I hate his presence in this film. I love it. I disagree with you. And, you know, I felt so conflicted because he is like a domestic abuser. Like the whole the jokes about him beating Audrey were mm-hmm. like made me cringe. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. Those bit. actually work for me. <laughs> the it, exact opposite take is really, no, no, it made me cringe a little bit. But like the reason I, I think it works is because she's really into it. Like that's what turns her on. Um, eh, yeah, I don't know. You about don't think that's that. true? I don't know about that. Okay. take, dude. I, I think it's more of a Stockholm syndrome where he's yeah. when someone is in an abusive relationship, it feels like there's no way out and they can want it, quote unquote. But you're, you're just like blaming she, the victim. Yeah, she just wants to live in better home and garden. I mean, she even tells Seymour, like, you're my dream man. You're such a nice guy. Like, she obviously sees that he's the better option. What I love about Steve Martin is just this maniacal dentist who's huffing nitrous oxide. Yes. And then he, there's a great scene where he meets his match in Bill Murray's <laughs> character, who's like this glutton for punishment. He's like, get this weirdo out of my office. <laughs> and obviously he has to die. He's, he gets fed to the plant. But again, I had never seen this. I didn't know what the Steve Martin character was. Mm-hmm. And when he's introduced on the motorbike and yeah. he's the badass womanizer, I'm like... He literally flies in on a motorcycle in that yeah Yeah. (laughs) and then he's like a fucking dentist and it just the joke hits so hard for me it it makes his death seem like and how do i even say it song yeah like not that his death feels more deserving and almost more like kid friendly 
because like he's such like an asshole. Yeah. Like, well, also he just like fucks up his nitrous oxide pump. He like rips the it. thing off and then he yeah and then he dies. <laughs> but oh, I mean overall, seeing this for the first time, yeah, I I liked visually how gross it sort of looked. I love the side characters, especially Steve Martin. And I really like the songs. I like that Motown Broadway thing. I think it works beautifully in here. Yeah. And another thing, too, the Audrey, too, who is voiced by um, the guy from the Four Tops. <laughs> I forget his name. Has one of the coolest voices. Like, mm-hmm. it's just so fucking I don't like know. Little Richard style, like classic yeah. rock and roll. Yeah, yeah you're gonna feed me, Seymour. Like, I lo- I'm glad that you mentioned how the background looks just like drab and gross because it makes like Audrey Tool, Audrey Two look so like out of this world, like vibrant. Yeah, because right. everything yeah, around well, and we find is out, like so dull. Find out she's an alien, literally not of this right. earth. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I really, really enjoyed it. If we're going on, like you know, we we're talking about the metrics of horror and musical like i thought the music in this was probably my favorite a very close tie like a classic musical than yes yeah yeah i think that's the thing is like i'm i think i've kind of slept on musicals for a long time i think i am awakened i know and i think i am a (laughs) fan of that like typical broadway style musical i think for so long i've sort of shat on it a Mm -hmm. little bit or felt like it wasn't my thing but it's totally my thing because it just adds so much energy to it so yeah i I mean i i really enjoyed it it's a classic i i didn't have any sort of like relationship with it like Mm -hmm. maybe brandon did with rocky horror just seeing it for the first time i was like oh wow yeah that's why this is so highly regarded it's a lot of fun I saw the musical before I saw this movie. Whoa. Yeah. Sweet. And I totally, I was in love with it. So I don't actually know anything about the original movie, but I do know that the, the one thing that I do not like about this movie is that it doesn't have the ending from the musical. I was going to ask you about that. And they yeah. did film the they ending film, the Yeah, and then it did not test well. Yeah, and it looks incredible. Like, like, yeah. You can watch the footage on YouTube. Oh, great. really? Oh, yeah. re- oh, man, I got to do it. And the thing is that, like, it just is so disappointing. Because if you think about it, in this movie, the plant kills two people. And it's, like, the evil dentist and then the shop owner. Which is, like, that... that doesn't feel as just as the dentist's death, but he's still he's like trying to blackmail right. Seymour. But also Seymour doesn't Seymour. kill. <laughs> Seymour kills the dentist and brings him to. No, Seymour doesn't kill the dentist though. He just the, brings his body. He just doesn't save him. Yeah, but that's different than the the second oh, the guy one. falling into. Yeah, he the, just falls yeah. in, and you know, right. So he's a little less culpable in that. Yeah. So it, as far as like the body count, like really, yeah. the plant didn't do that much and then the you know <laughs> like it, the bud is there in the at the end but the ending in the musical just feels so much like it, it's like th- there are actual stakes like audrey dies really and then, yeah and he feeds her to the plant and then he is like um the guy comes in and says oh we're gonna take these cuttings from the plant and gonna sell it all over and then seymour jumps into the plant to like try to kill it from the inside with the machete and then the plant eats seymour 
and like spits out. And then doesn't they they kind of take over the world? Yeah, they yeah the the guy comes in, gets cuttings, he puts puts them all over the the world, and all of these people are like suckered in by this plant into like feeding it blood for fame and glory, mm. and then and the in the musical. They do a, this a couple of different ways, but basically the plant takes over the theater of the, like, whatever theater you're watching this in. So, like, these huge vines grow up what? from the sides. Right. I just feel that like That is a much better ending. Yeah. And that's what's crazy about the one they scrapped is, like, they spent a lot of money on the special yeah. effects. Mostly of the plant taking over New York City, but they're, like, crawling all over the buildings. And, right. like, it's way bigger than any of the puppet gags that actually made it into the movie. Yeah. They go really large scale with it to show like the takeover of the world. Yeah. And then they scrapped all of that money because people didn't like it. And you can tell that they scrapped it because the ending is just like... A return to suddenly Seymour? Kind of like a... Yeah. And he he just like electrocutes the plant with a spare wire, which has no like narrative... Meaning, and then they like get married. They like there's barely any dialogue after that. And and uh, the th- it's uh, so Audrey has this song somewhere that's green, which I love. This song, she's looking at better home and gardens, and she's like imagining a life with Seymour out of Skid Row in the pine soul scented air. She has, that is like, one of the best jokes in the whole movie. Yeah, <laughs> the pine soul scented air yeah. had me squealing. And she has like a Tupperware party. It's just uh, like such a quintessential like fifties idea. Super kitschy. Yeah. And and in the musical, she asks Seymour, she's dying. Um, Seymour saves her from the inside of the plant, but she's dying. Like, she's mortally wounded. And she wants him to feed her to Audrey, too, so that, like, she can always be with him. Like, when he's taking care of the plant, he'll be taking care of her. So she does a reprise of Somewhere That's Green because she's going to be in the plant. Right. It's just, just like, <laughs> such a perfect... Like Audrey becomes Audrey too. Yeah, exactly. It's such a perfect yeah. reprise of that like idealistic fantasy, and I'm like so disappointed that never yeah. listen to test audiences. They're always wrong. No, always. <laughs> well, and so I didn't realize that the Roger Corman movie came first. So I'm wondering if it must have the same ending as the musical. It's completely different. Really? Yeah. And th- that's where I'm coming from. Is like completely. You saw the musical first. I yeah. saw the Roger Corman movie oh, okay. a bunch of times because it's public domain and aired on PBS a lot when I was a kid. So like I didn't have cable. So like that was like movies I watched was like whatever happened to be mm-hmm. on PBS on Sundays. And the Corman movie is something I love a lot. And I recognize that it's probably bad. <laughs> um, probably my worst movie opinion is that I think that movie is way funnier than this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are like maybe three moments in the musical where I like laugh out loud. And I was rewatching the Corman movie the other day and I was laughing every single scene. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, it was written in a weekend and made on the leftover sets from bucket of blood, which is another Corman classic. And I just am so attuned to that style of like no budget filmmaking. And like, we got to rush out a movie while we've got these resources. So like in that film where um, Jack Nicholson comes in as like glutton for punishment and Seymour has to pretend to be a dentist because he's actually killed the real dentist and he keeps fucking up Jack Nicholson's teeth and Jack Mm -hmm. Nicholson's getting off on the pain. (laughs) Like that setup is way funnier than me than this like non sequitur thing with Steve Martin and um, Bill Murray, which is disconnected from the plot. And to me, they're working so hard for a laugh 
both of them are like so zany and over the top and I'm not laughing at what they're doing, but there are a couple gags that do catch me off guard, like the mm-hmm. pine salt scented air. Yeah. And the, um, the, the biggest laugh in this whole movie to me is when Audrey two has a gun. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, not, it's not enough that this like man eating plant is like taking over the world. It's like the fact that it has a gun. It's like, right. Oh my God. <laughs> run! Right. And he's so huge. And the gun is so <laughs> tiny. It's just like, <laughs> so in the, uh, in the original film, um, Seymour is feeding more and more people to this mm-hmm. plant. Um, people that have happened to die. And then he's like yeah. slowly working his way up to actual murder to feed the plant. Mm-hmm. And the final gag is uh, the plant has these buds. They're going to open and um, the new local newspaper is going to cover the plant blooming for the first time. Mm-hmm. When it blooms, the insides of the buds are the victims. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that like reveal that he's like been killing people uh, to like feed this plant the whole yeah. time. That is also in the musical oh, at the is? very okay. end. Yeah. At the very end, the last song is like, don't feed the plant. And it's <laughs> um, the dentist and the shop owner, uh, M- Mushnik and Seymour and Audrey, like as little buds on the plant singing about. I love that. Yeah. And the little the little buds in the musical are also very cute. They're just yeah. smaller versions <laughs> of Audrey too. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is I have like such a deep affection for that like authentic style of like we have ten dollars in three days yeah. we have to make anything. What's the most ridiculous idea that we could sell? And like how do we pump that out quickly? Um, that kind of stuff is like thrilling to me. Watching them recreate it in parody is funny sometimes. Like mm-hmm. they find some jokes that like really land. What makes this movie actually special is not the humor. And I always think it's going to be funnier than it actually is when I'm watching it. What makes it special is the puppetry. Oh, my God. Where I never want to look up how they achieved the special effects because this plant is a real thing to me. Yeah. Uh, Audrey <laughs> 2 actually exists. They just filmed this documentary style. They found this like exotic plant. I, it, yeah. It's fucking movie magic how they make this I, plant so expressive. Again, getting the guy from the four tops. To yeah. Do the, the voice adds so much character yeah to it like that was the perfect choice yeah and it really does look it's like fully alive and like kind of slick and but it it, yeah it doesn't look like a like yoda puppet or anything right and it but it looks tactile like Mm -hmm. it's not cgi i watched a um special feature on my chucky blu-ray the other day i watched the first child's play Mm -hmm. from the 80s and they had like six animators working on just Chucky's face in the first movie. Oh my and god! And there's people working different remote controls, like ones doing eyebrows mm-hmm. and those doing like yeah. you know, mouth contortions. And watching Audrey too, I'm like, I don't know how many people right. were needed to operate this plant, yeah. but it must have been at least a dozen because it is so fully articulated and expressive and like yeah. fluid. It doesn't look like how Chucky kind of looks like a you know stilted doll movements right. like it is very just like mm-hmm. and maybe they smoothed it out with stop motion yeah. or some other thing but very, i don't want to know don't tell me yeah very organic <laughs> i'm never looking it i up. never thought about it yeah <laughs> man we gotta watch the i gotta watch the roger corman because i that's the thing the other thing that i feel like is missing from this movie is i mean the body count is a little higher in the musical but i did want seymour to have to like actually kind of sacrifice his character in order to continue feeding this plant and he really he really doesn't have to in the movie at all and you know there are more consequences in the musical but i like the idea of like okay first i'll give a little bit of my blood and then 
um, okay, you know, this person is just, they died, so I don't have to feel bad about that. But it's like you're escalating, and, and then eventually you, like, walk over that tipping point. I just feel like that's missing, unfortunately. I will say I doubt you will enjoy the Corwin movie more than the <laughs> musical. I feel like I am, like, my brain's not working correctly. <laughs> I, I, I don't know anyone else who shares that opinion. Yeah. Um, so I'm promising too much. Yeah. But I, I do think it's a fun little 70-minute B-movie. Mm-hmm. Do you know yeah. if they have the musical available? I mean, I'm sure it's on they YouTube somewhere. They actually do huh? have, because I rewatched the ending of the musical. Yeah. I don't, it's probably not like the Broadway production, but they have the full musical on YouTube. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I feel like this whole time I've been talking about things that I don't don't like about the movie, but I love the story. I really like this movie. I like it too. I'm sounding like I'm complaining. Yeah. It's yeah. I just think it's such a special a musical. Musical. Yeah. Just like, like so like I, oh, sorry, go no, ahead. No, I just it's funny to hear like your perspective from having watched right. the musical and Brandon's perspective from having watched the Roger Corman. And from having bad politics with state of masochist shit. Uh, <laughs> well maybe that too. I need to rewatch that with a different eye because I I thought there was some kind of like joke about her being into it, but maybe I'm wrong. But about I, that. but I think with me, I'm like coming in about as cold yeah. as you could. Like mm-hmm. I haven't seen the Roger Corman or the actual musical. So I'm just looking at it kind of for the film that it is. And like, I actually do agree that, you know, when I was kind of ranking it in my head, I did have problems with the ending too, where it felt like about as flat of an ending yeah. as you could give a movie that had been building up. Like, but I still couldn't help but like it. Yeah. And and I think it's like, I just wish they would re-release it with the original the ending. Original, because, yeah. I, I mean, the thing is that that's what the movie was building to. And that's what the story is building to. So then if you have to come up with something, it's like it's going to feel incomplete. Mm-hmm. What frustrates me about that is like when they do release, like, you know, the restored Blu-ray with the original mm-hmm. ending. It's always like it's an extra feature. Like, yeah, I feel like this one and Phase Four. If you buy like that—that's the uh, the Killer Ants movie. Like, if you mm-hmm. buy the like restored ending, like intact, it, there's never an option to watch that in sequence. It's like yeah. you watch the movie and you're like, "Well, I'm gonna go see how it should have yeah. ended." Ooh, instead. look at the ending! Like, I actually right. want the smooth, like reintegrated version mm-hmm. of that. Totally. I will say, um, too. I was calling out Rocky Horror as my favorite like musical piece out of all of these. Like the songs are the best. But that little shop, little shop of horrors intro song. Little shop, little, little shop, shop of horrors. That that's is the one that's stuck been in my head for like three, four days. Now. That is catchy. terminally catchy. <laughs> so my pick um, for this podcast was the happiness of the Katakuris. This is a Japanese film uh, directed by Takashi Miike in two thousand one. I'm going to do my best to summarize this movie so it's a it's a musical about family uh (laughs) there's a family of a japanese family a mother father uh grandfather their two kids and then their daughter's um daughter and the father kind of buys this guest house out in the middle of nowhere there's a road that's supposed to be built through this area so eventually it's going to be this like bustling place for for guests but for now it's just kind of like in the middle of nowhere there's trash everywhere there are like toxic waste um barrels 
So this is going to be like a new start for the family. All of the family members are kind of like going through shit. So they're trying to band together, do this, run this guest house in as a family. So they start to get guests in this movie. And then um, all of these guests either uh, kill themselves or die in like mysterious circumstances. And they are like scrambling to figure out how to deal with this. So they like just keep getting guests they keep having to bury these bodies the like police are coming for unrelated reasons there's and there are these like subplots like the the daughter in the family is uh desperately lonely she meets this like man who's masquerading as like a british navy pilot he says he's like the the son of the sister of queen elizabeth or something he's the mvp right like he's the best character in the movie (laughs) yeah he's just like a chaotic liar so like the first guest they have is this he's like this very strange isolated man who like turns his hotel key into a shiv and like stabs himself in the neck um, and then there's this like sumo wrestler who comes with this very young girl who looks like she's 16 and they like both die while he while they're having sex like he crushes her. And but anyway, they keep like burying these bodies by this lake and they're like, like incre- increasingly frantic and not knowing what's going on. It feels like this guest house is haunted. And I I mean, it just kind of like culminates in a standoff with another like hostile in guest. So the, the music in this movie is like very cheerful. I can't remember any of the songs, but it's like this very theatrical. Like it almost reminded me of like, like Japanese theater, like very or like anime, like very exaggerated choreography, um, very melodramatic. And this movie was just like, it was just so silly. It's just so strange. Like there are these three moments where things turn into like claymation um, for no apparent so reason, which is like, parts. yeah, it's like yeah. so creepy and weird. There were a couple parts where it was for no reason. Like early on, there's a little like demon thing. Yeah, that, like, like, okay. Which I, hangs off a character's yeah, uvula. That's and, like, he, like, my bites favorite. It off and then he gobbles up her uvula. Yeah. Even though it's like the opening, that's yeah. my favorite part of this movie. I agree. The little yeah. soup demon. And there you're like, why is this in stop motion? I, right. I love it, but like, why was that decision made? Yeah. And then later there's a scene where they dispose of a body because someone fell off of a ravine or something. And you see them falling off a cliff. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is oh, like. they can't do it. The more, the more than the budget can allow. Right. Yeah. So like, we're going to supplement the budget with these like fantasy oh, yeah. moments. Especially That's at the true. end when the like volcano is overflowing. It's like, <laughs> well, they, they could never afford to film this. Yeah. Which is smart. But it's also smart to do that fantasy moment at the beginning where it's like, this isn't obviously a creative choice we've made. And we're like, we're yeah. just going to do these like animated sequences. Yeah. Right. It's not because of budget. Can I want to see real people lift a house in the middle of like. Yeah. <laughs> also worth noting, this is like one of eight movies that Takashi Miike directed in that year. Oh, <laughs> like, well, oh my God. Well, also, what throws me off about him, like I was looking at his filmography. I'm Hundreds like, oh. of titles. Well, and also it's like, oh, he did Audition and Ichi the Killer, which are like two of the most violent, fucked up yeah. movies oh, I've man. ever seen. Audition. Is that true? Or are they two of the earliest, most violent fucking movies? They were seen? at the perfect time in my exactly. movie-going experience. Like, I have not watched them since, but freshman year of college for me, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. 
dude, each of the killer. Did you see that <laughs> right. one? That was, I don't know if it holds up I on feel that like level. He is the perfect director to discover when you are in high school or college. Like that is like the sweet spot for him. Yeah. Like, and I kind of wish I had seen this movie around that time. Like, whoa, this is so weird and dark and messed up and crazy. Yeah. Well, this one is like, this is so goofy and over the it top. It was so goofy. Yeah. I, I thought it was really endearing. Honestly. It's fun. Like, yeah. yeah. I thought the family stuff was cute. Like they yeah. were a very cute family and they loved each yeah. other. I yeah. vacillated a lot on this movie. Like there were parts where I was like really not enjoying it that much. Mm-hmm. And then there were some moments that were like, like funnier than to me than in the other. I mean, Rocky Horror is like a pinnacle, but like the, okay. So there's this part where this group, uh, this family of four comes and they're like, they look like at this point, like so many people have died in their guest house and this family looks like they're about to jump off a ledge and they're like do you have a thick cord for us to use and this the in-keeping family is just like okay well we got to prepare for what's going to happen and they just start preemptively like digging graves (laughs) for this family and then it was like then it turns out they just needed like a cord for this little boy to use as a belt and then I guess leave. it's sort of like the gallows humor stuff. Yeah. Like even when the fat, the sumo guy, they're like trying to rope him out the window. And he just falls on his face. And oh, I like, yeah. I chuckled because I'm mm-hmm. an idiot. I'm like, oh, it's, that's just funny. Yeah. Just like it's funny to see them digging preemptive graves yeah. for oh. suicidal guests. Like, yeah. Like that whole scene with the sumo dude going out the window, like just, I guess that fucking whatever fake body they use was so bizarre it looked, like it looks so it weird. looks so real yeah. yeah and then whenever they come back from the dead and his like double chin is like bloated times 20 i well back to kind of like the musical numbers with this mm-hmm. i liked how it felt like a variety show like right. yeah, yeah totally followed the same pattern like one was a karaoke bit where it's like you know the lyrics sing along with me there's like an 80s music video yeah. uh, after the first suicide. Yeah. And then there's the zombie one later on. And they're, yeah. Yeah, they're all just kind of like standalone. They don't connect, but I don't think they should have. I feel like, like gen- I like that it was all over the place. I feel like generally the vibe is like sound of music, but with horror. <laughs> like there's like a lot of like um, picturesque, like like a mm-hmm. mountainside Mount frolicking look, yes. uh, with, you know, horrific mishaps where people are yeah. dying violent scenarios yeah i i think the thing that threw me off was the little demon in the like i expected that demon to play an integral part in the movie like i thought that that was the whole like this demon is haunting the guest houses and he was like in this woman's soup he eats her uvula and then he flies (laughs) away and then he's like eaten by a raven and then the raven dies so i thought that the whole time I thought that this little demon was haunting their guest house and there was yes. like a lunar eclipse or a solar eclipse and that was the whole movie, but it just... That, I would have loved that. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, they didn't I play into it at all. thought the same shit. Like whenever yeah. the grandpa hit the bird that ate the demon, the soup demon, with that bat and it fell yeah. down, I'm like, man, the soup demon's in the soil. Right. And then they're... Gun, like I thought he was haunting the grounds and then I, I think I got like halfway through the film and I was like wait is the demon not right, doing when this? is it coming <laughs> I man it's like I thought it had a really good soul to it but I I don't like to say this about movies but it did feel like it was weird for the sake of being yes. yeah weird and you know I watch a lot of weird movies and normally I don't level that criticism yeah. but this one felt 
that way. Zombie ass toilet of the dead. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at least yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that's what I'm saying. Like, I wish I had seen this um, when I was younger because I feel like when I po- I post, you know, just sort of a record of what I'm watching, and a lot of people chimed in like, "I love this movie," and I, the vibe I was getting was like, "I love this movie." I saw it in the early 2000s, and it yeah. was like a mind opener for me. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm watching it now. It's like it's a very goofy film, but I didn't have a strong emotional response to it. Mm-hmm. What it felt like to me was like. Watching a musical episode from a sitcom that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, like a sitcom will run for like five or seven seasons. They're like, I don't know what to do next. Let's do an hour long musical episode. Yeah. And it felt like a very character based, like non sequitur jokes based around this like musical yeah. setup. But you didn't know what the characters were because they weren't Who they are quite people. fleshed out. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't love. I didn't really like any. Like, I did not care for the mother character. She was just like a one note, like, lovelorn. I like the grandfather. Yeah, yeah. he was fine. He's always he throwing stuff with birds. Yeah. yeah. Right. I like him. He's throwing stuff. <laughs> I like the, uh, the liar sailor, like, the handsome uh, yeah. grifter is pretty funny as a character. Yeah. yeah. This is also a parody of a Korean film as well that is like a more serious, like, horror drama, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I'm curious to watch that. Yeah. Weird. And maybe, I, maybe if I had seen that first, this like parody would have been funnier. Too. Yeah. Maybe we'll understand that Soup Demon more. <laughs> right. Unlikely. Yeah. Just really <laughs> disappointed that Soup Demon wasn't a bigger part. And like, well, and there's, I guess the connection with him and like the group of like super religious ladies that yeah. show up because they were in the restaurant. Right. I don't, yeah. A lot of yeah, unanswered so questions. Th- yeah. I just had this. You know, assumption like the, the the soup demon is doing all this. Yeah. And then at the end, I think you said, you said that it's like, okay, wait. So what actually happened? So I guess all of these people were just. Maybe he brought that, that aura. Stroke of like bad luck or yeah. some shit to the family. Yeah. Because the grandpa kind of killed him, I guess, even though the bird ate him. He might have still been alive. Yeah. To me, that felt like the animated opening credits to the sitcom. Like, <laughs> it had like nothing to do with <laughs> yeah. what actually happens in the film. Yeah. Which is a bummer because I thought. But yeah, my two favorite parts. That one joke where they're like digging. And then I th- I liked the, the I kind of liked the brother character, actually, especially his dancing. It was like very God, was um, weird theatrical. Too. Like, oh, yeah. Like, he had they a lot didn't of weird... make any sense. Yeah. They were like one of them, like the words were just like backwards. And I'm like, <laughs> so hip. <laughs> <laughs> but I lo- like this is such a stupid joke, but I I loved it. Like when he stabbed. But at the end by this like like this man who killed his wife and he's on the run and he gets stabbed and he's like ah you know and everybody's gathered around him and they look at the knife wound and it's like a tiny scratch (laughs) and they're all like oh it's that big yeah it's only that big and it's like we shouldn't have told you we loved you (laughs) right yeah (laughs) like the earnestness of some of the like narration too it's like what makes a family happy right (laughs) (laughs) the movie has no interest in exploring anything that sincere right yeah it's like very they really hammer in the family theme but it it is just like uh, uh, like on the most rote level like we're a family and we're gonna figure this out together as a family and we're gonna I, I couldn't house. like quite tell. I was like, okay, is it being subversive or is it being genuine? And I felt like it was more genuine, just like, yeah, sitcommy. Here's a yeah. Here's a happy family doing some crazy things. Yeah, I, th- I think the main thing, like, I 
expected a certain type of weirdness just from I, I didn't watch a trailer or anything before we I watched this. Um but just the cover art is like one of it's the claymation shot of the woman who gets her uvula eaten. So she just looks bizarre. It reminded me of like the Wolf House and oh, yeah. that other Japanese uh, movie. The what, what is it? The like the Destroyer, the one that's that has the the paper puppets. It's animated. It's like this person that made these little paper puppets on little sticks. Oh, um, Violence Voyager. Yeah, Violence Voyager. Like, that is what I was imagining going into the film. Like, that kind of He's got a new movie coming out about, like, mushroom sickness. People who, like, get poisoned by mushrooms. I'm like, yes, please. (laughs) I love that fucking sick bastard. (laughs) Yeah. But this was was a weird movie, but it... It did not, like, I was just ready for that horror itch to be scratched, and that's not what it was at all. But that's fine. I still, I, it made me chuckle. It was um, funny. Yeah. And I watched it very late at night, which I feel like is, like, perfect, because you're supposed to be like, wait, what's happening? Right. Uh, what's going on now? Yeah. Uh, every scene's like that. It's another turn. Yeah. Not Non sequitur is kind of, like, where I was coming from. It was like, every scene... Doesn't really feel like it was building off of anything. It was just kind of going into a new gag. Mm-hmm. Especially when you get into like the karaoke stuff. or It was you know. a farce. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a it was farce. Funny. I enjoyed all of these. They're they're mm-hmm. very unwieldy, like chaotic films. The yeah. horror musical as a genre. Yeah, I was... Um, normally when, you know, I log all the movies we watch in Letterboxd. And normally there's a range of ratings for these podcasts. But so I think Ichi... Or sorry, not Ichi. Um... The categories. I think I gave it like two and a half or three stars. And then all the other ones is just like four and a half, five. I just, these are great movies. Yeah. It's a great Halloween mood. And I feel like early in the season, early in October, you might be watching a bunch of like spooky, atmospheric, like Mm -hmm. slow burn horrors. This late, I just want to drink beer and watch something like very chaotic and yeah. fun. Yeah. Kind of like when we did those metal exploitation movies last Halloween. Like, yes. I just want to it's watch something loud and obnoxious. Same vibe. Yeah. 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 Like that. Really <laughs> celebrating the spook. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, next week on the show, we are going to talk about Ginger Snaps from the <gasps> early 2000s. <gasps> Speaking of fun Halloween movies. Puberty like, horror. Yeah. Yeah. And something I'm embarrassed by how much I enjoyed at that age at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, it reminds me of being a new metal shithead in a very specific way. That's yeah. probably mostly what we'll talk about when we watch it. <laughs> and yeah, that'll be our like actual Halloween themed episode. So awesome. maybe we'll like slowly creep away from horror after that and actually mm-hmm. do something that's sort of respectable mm-hmm. and like prestige mm-hmm. as the months roll on. Yes. Probably not. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, I've been reviewing horror movies all month on SwampFlix.com. If you just click on there. About four or five a week. Just whatever I've been watching. Reviews, reviews, reviews. Mm, Yes. (laughs) And uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.